Hello everyone and welcome to the Legal Trends by Hannah Snellman podcast. In this first series, we discuss international litigation trends with prominent lawyers from around the world and apply our Nordic perspective to them. What are the current litigation trends in the world? Will they reach the Nordics anytime soon or are they already here? My name is Anna-Maria Tammen. I'm a partner in the dispute resolution practice at Hannes Nelman. And I am Helen Lehto, managing associate in the dispute resolution team at Hannes Nelman. In this episode, we discuss the Volkswagen emissions scandal and related investigations and litigations with Patrick Schröder, partner at Freshfields Brokaus Deringer, based in Hamburg, Germany. Patrick is a lawyer qualified both in Germany and in the UK, and he specializes in arbitration, corporate litigation, and compliance follow-on litigation. He represents clients in high-stakes disputes in various industries and many parts of the world. Welcome to our podcast, Patrick. Thank you very much, Anna-Maria. And Patrick will be joined today by one of our colleagues, Mr. Anders Biglin, who is also a partner in the dispute resolution practice at Hannes Snellmann. Anders will comment upon similar investigation and litigation trends through what he sees in his practice. Hello, Anders, and welcome. Hi, thank you. Great to be here. Without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Oh, thanks, Helen. Um, So I think we'll start with a brief description of what we're going to discuss today. Uh, for those not familiar necessarily with this case. So, um, Patrick, we know from public sources that what has been referred to as also the Dieselgate or the Emissions Gate began in September 2015 when the United States Environmental Protection Agency issued a notice of violation of the Clear Air Act by Volkswagen. And as a result of this, regulators around the world started to investigate the company. Um, this resulted in, in various government and civil actions currently pending in the U.S. and, and in Europe. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what happened and, and what you know about these facts? Yes, of course, uh, Anna-Maria. First thing, uh, we prefer to call it the diesel issue rather than diesel gate or diesel scandal. Um, some might call that uh, a clever way or a non-clever way of framing, uh, but it just sounds so much better. We have a litigator with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the diesel issue uh, relates to the engines of the type EA189, which is a diesel engine um, manufactured uh, by the Volkswagen Group. And it was used in about 2 million cars in Germany and about 11 million cars worldwide. As you've mentioned, the United States authorities, regulators, issued a notice of violation in September uh, 2015, and investigations by regulatory bodies all over the world ensued and resulted in, let's say, parallel uh, notices, uh, different regulatory acts, and investigations of a general uh, nature by, for example, governmental authorities, by NGOs, and also by certain, let's say, consumer protection groups that are not formal uh, NGOs. So, Patrick, at what point did your law firm become involved in this? Were you involved from the get-go or did you become involved later? Pretty much at the beginning, actually. Uh, I remember in September uh, 2015, we had a strategy meeting of uh, the German um, the German group at Freshfields, and we were all bunched up in Cologne uh, on a campus where we were to exchange ideas. And we woke up one morning and heard the news that uh, Volkswagen was considering uh, to go 
uh, public, so to, to uh, file a, an ad hoc notice uh, with regard to the diesel issue. And we were already involved at that stage uh, to, um, yeah, to try to mitigate the overall, um, the overall consequences of this issue and also to find out what had really happened and how does it affect uh, the company, how to handle this crisis. And that's a very important thing uh, that we will reach again uh, later in this talk, I think, when we talk about the lessons learned. I think that was a clever move uh, to involve a law firm uh, who could coordinate all the different aspects at the very beginning. So not only a specialist uh, who can deal with the ad hoc notice, but also with all the steps that you can expect at this early stage uh, that would ensue. So obviously this was a multi-jurisdictional investigation. Um, could you explain a bit about how Freshfields coordinated the work within the firm? Yes, I can. Um, so first, I think the, the, the matter is a bit peculiar because the root cause of this issue is in Germany. Uh, that's where the, the the engineers, the technicians, the developers were, uh, and that's where uh, where um, the software that was at the heart of this issue was developed. So the investigation, strictly speaking, was not multi-jurisdictional, but of course the case is multi-jurisdictional because it affects so many different, uh, so many different jurisdictions. Fifty plus, I think it is, and. It, the matter is huge. I mean, Freshfields uh, has, from more or less from day one, coordinated the defense in all aspects, regulatory, anti-competition, civil, of Volkswagen, the, the Volkswagen Group uh, in that matter, um, except for the USA and Canada. Huh? Uh, they had different counsel there. And um, as I said, 50 plus jurisdictions, not from day one, but potentially affected and actually affected. Uh, that means that you have to have a structure that is rather, uh, rather sophisticated because you not only have a geographical aspect, but you also have, um, let's say, a practice uh, aspect. Because as I said, the case involves criminal issues, regulatory issues, civil law issues. So you have to have specialists uh, from all these departments uh, who also have to have the broad view of all the jurisdictions involved. And that is a challenge. So this is the first matter that I have been uh, party to at Freshfields, where we have an international um, steering group to deal with all the developments in all jurisdictions and where we need to, you know, to capture this in one uh, small group who can, uh, who needs to be aware basically of everything, not in detail, of course, but aware of all the major developments so that you don't miss anything. Patrick, you're saying that you have specialists from different types, uh, uh, sort of handling different types of disputes ranging from um, civil suits to criminal to competition law issues and so on and so forth. Can you tell us a little bit about these sort of individual proceedings or, or these types of proceedings that, that you're all handling? Yes, of course. And let me let me mention also that um, uh, of course we do not have an office in all the jurisdictions affected. So I think one of the one of the most impressive uh, achievements in this in this matter was that we um, 
that we could use effectively our so-called stronger together network. You mean you have friends? Uh, we have friends. Actually, <laughs> we do have friends. Uh, best friends in in um, in almost every jurisdiction. I think Hannes Snellman is a best friend as well, if I remember correctly. But we also work with um, uh, with firms um, in different jurisdictions. But uh, the client uh, does not really realize that he's dealing with different firms. So it's a uh, it's basically a they know of course, but it's a, a, a seamless service approach uh, that we have implemented there. And uh, uh, that's also a very, uh, yeah, very international aspect of this. So um, the different types of dispute. Uh, let's start uh, with the beginning uh, in the U.S. When the notice of violation was filed, a criminal investigation uh, in the U.S. Uh, uh, followed. And um, uh, as you may know, or at least in Germany, it was, it was uh, and in the Financial Times, it was reported continuously, a German national and a U.S. national were actually jailed for their participation in uh, the diesel matter. Um, however, the, the main, um, uh, their main infraction was not uh, involvement in the development of the contentious software, but rather that they lied to authorities. So that's also a takeaway already. Do not lie to you as authorities because you could stay there longer uh, than you want. Uh, that's that's. Uh, I, if you had asked me, uh, I would have thought that involvement in the development could be more more difficult to handle for an individual, but uh, actually the. Uh, the authorities there were very, very critical of what they considered to be incomplete and misleading statements. So that's a criminal example. In Germany as well, uh, we do not have a corporate criminal law, but there is something similar where you can fine a company if your employees uh, are guilty of criminal acts. And so uh, the prosecutor in Germany also investigated against Volkswagen and in the end, they issued a fine. I think it was a record fine uh, together uh, uh, with um, the seizure of capital gains derived from the criminal acts attributable to individuals at Volkswagen. It was 1 billion euro. Different criminal proceedings in different jurisdictions have also been pending. Uh, most of them are settled, not all of them. The regulatory side, you have to imagine that as the, the, the EPA initially said, there was a notice of violation. So the, um, the cars did not conform to the technical standards applicable in the jurisdiction. You have to deal with that. You have to negotiate with the regulators how to remedy the situation. All these cars are, at least in Europe, uh, it's slightly different in the US, but all these cars have been on the road all the time, uh, even when the 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 matter was still investigated, and that's due to uh, cooperation with the respective regulators um, to the effect that uh, Volkswagen would develop a remedy to um, uh, to bring these um, cars to a standard that would conform with the regulatory standard. Civil claims, I mean, that's obvious. Uh, probably consumers said, okay, if uh, the regulator said, the cars do not conform to technical standards. I bought something that's uh, worth less uh, than I was promised. 
Uh, we've argued against that very convincingly, but essentially the courts in Germany said that customers could get compensation. Um, compensation in Germany, at least, looks uh, this way. Uh, you have to return the car, get the purchase price back, uh, and you, you have to deduct uh, a sum that is equivalent to the use of the car that the customer has made of it. And that's uh, calculated according to kilometers driven. Interesting. So that's a very high level overview of the type of dispute that you can see. There's more, huh? anti-competition. In some jurisdictions, there were adverts saying that this is a clean diesel. So uh, competition authorities said that was probably a misstatement. You can argue about that, but that was the... Uh, that was the, the gist of their argument uh, and similar stuff. So, Anders, how does this reflect on your experience and the Nordics with sort of similar large investigations and parallel litigations? Uh, I mean, the scale is so somewhat different here than, than it is w yeah. with what Patrick just told us. Yeah, well, just about to say that, I think the, 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 the first thing you have to realize is, is, is that this this Volkswagen case is, is all in all, it's, it's very much different it's in the sense that it's so, so huge and its, its implications are so so global and, and big that, that, you know, looking at whatever, you know, globally what's been going on for, for any, any time back, you know, it's really exceptional in that sense. However, I think the, the key, key, one, one key takeaway, and I, I'm, I'm happy to hear Patrick about these issues, is that, that, that I think many, many of the things you must have been facing are exactly the same ones you know in principle the themes which you are facing in any kind of investigation that is to say you know first of all uh, it comes as a surprise you don't know what is going on you have to get sort of a grip on the situation very quickly find out what has happened but you can't be finding out again too much and, and starting to create this sort of incriminating uh, material you know uh, for the for uh, which will you know, give rise to all kinds of trouble for you later on. Uh, then there's, you know, all, all kinds, you know, how should you handle communication? What can you say publicly, you know, and what should you not say, say in order to protect yourself? Uh, and, and all those kinds of, kinds of issues. And, and I was very, it was very interesting to hear, hear about and, and um, these, these processes you had in place because I feel, feel you know, in, in any investigation, they are, are, are crucial and important because, Obviously, you need to coordinate. You need to make sure that that you know all decisions are are made hand in hand and they work. But on the other hand, you know you cannot create processes which then again make it impossible for you to act timely. You know wherever you need to do, and and it's still you know you can. It's easy for anyone to say if 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 you know I have a a dispute where I need to argue a in this country that I need to coordinate it with whatever is being said in all the other countries. You know anyone can realize that, but then. From take going from there to actually coordinating, making the decisions of you know what can you do and how and what should you not do, and you know not get bogged down in that kind of a, a an endless situation, but also getting things moving in a timely way. Uh, I guess that's where a lot of challenges arise, and I can only imagine what what it must have been like with with the really huge cases like 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 the Volkswagen one. I, I think Anders is of course completely right. This is uh, just a standard case, if you want. Uh, but it's a bit more complicated than the average case. So it's it's not it's not unusual in the sense that if you boil it down, there is a compliance issue. 
Um, there are consequences from different perspectives, as I said, regulatory, criminal, civil, and you have to deal with that. So it boils down to a very simple fact and gets complicated only through external factors. Uh, but in the essence, that's what it is. Um, and as you, you are, of course, also right. I think the, uh, the, the coordination can be very difficult to spot or the, the need to harmonize approaches can be very difficult to spot, especially uh, between jurisdictions. I think the first major um, the first major disconnect is between regulatory issues and what we call the civil follow-on claims. Uh, that's the, the the major conflict of interest that arises first because from a regular if you're dealing with the the authorities, um, uh, the 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 reflex is always we have to admit, we have to say we're sorry. We will do everything we can to make this go away. No problem. Don't hurt us, basically. But if you do that, uh, you're stuck with that kind of statement. We are sorry means an admission of guilt or of responsibility. And that can bite you in the civil follow-on cases because you have basically accepted wrongdoing. And that can have consequences vis-a-vis -vis your customers. And you can win the battle on the regulatory and criminal field but you'll lose it maybe two, three years down the road on the civil side. And the, the follow-on claims can be as dangerous uh, for the survival of a company as uh, the civil claims are. I'm not talking about Volkswagen now, but that's, a, uh, that's a, an observation, I think, that many have made. Uh, the first instinct is always to protect the companies against, for example, blacklisting, um, against uh, restrictions for... Um, for public uh, tenders, stuff like that. Um, but you always have to keep in mind what's your exposure on the follow-on claim from, from day one. And the second one, uh, the second issue that you mentioned, uh, uh, how to coordinate between jurisdictions, how have we dealt with that? We have written um, statements as to the facts uh, in English for every jurisdiction, and we have asked them to use these statements of facts, and if they need additional facts or want to, let's say, portray certain aspects in a slightly different way, they need to coordinate with us at Freshfields or with the, let's say, with the steering group uh, 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 members so that we ensure that, uh, that there is not inconsistent or maybe even damaging, uh, damaging pleading going on in different jurisdictions and i think that was very very interesting you know that that distinction you made about you know regulatory authorities and then follow-on claims but i think there's there's also a third aspect and I, which is really interesting and that's you know when you talk to 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 pr or communications people you know how should we handle this exposure in the media where we will be hanged within the next uh, 15 minutes uh, and uh, and there of course their natural re reaction is so much different from ours which is you know where we want to keep things close to our chest you know protect the clients and especially as you don't know all the facts you need to be very careful what you're saying uh, you know all the all the communications people they approach these things from a completely different directions their their sort of natural instinct when i've been talking to them is that well if something has happened now you should come out you should come out on your bare knees and apologize to everyone and apologize for everything you know regardless of whether you're guilty or not but you know show you are culpable and accept that 
and you know go ask for their apology and you know as a lawyer that comes a bit against what we would usually want to see <laughs> and and i yeah. guess there we also need to 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 as lawyer be a bit humble because then again depending on the case uh you know those things which we are handling the 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 repercussions with authorities follow-up claims so on they are hugely important but we also need to realize that that kind of public exposure that those downsides which happen very quickly are are equally important and and can be hugely damaging so so we have to be a bit humble and, and, and work the client together has a that. business to run in the exactly <laughs> exactly so so uh. i think you're you're right and uh, that was the reason uh, we've seen not only in the volkswagen case but also in, in different cases that have let's say a high publicity reaction or the, where, where the public reacts uh, with a lot of interest um, we have now formed a skills group uh, crisis communications and that it's made up uh, of different lawyers who do have an interest in communication matters uh, and can help translate legal issues for the communications people and vice versa so we're not you know we don't have an agency at Freshfields that deals with communications but we have people who can assist internal uh, and external communications advisors uh, in trying to get this wrong be uh, not <laughs> in trying to get this right sometimes not wrong is already half the rent um and and that's uh, that has proven very important because uh, you also need to consider that judges read papers judges watch the news and the court of public opinion especially in very large cases can can be almost as important as the real court uh, and that's why you need to give messages to the public uh, that is legally correct, but also does the job from a communications perspective. And that's also something uh, when we're talking about litigation trends that I've seen over the last few years uh, developing. It's not what uh, has been called a few years ago, uh, uh, litcom, I think it was called, yeah. uh, but it's, it's more subtle. It's more like assisting a communication strategy with lawyers who can speak both languages. Um, and that's, that's a trend, I think, um, uh, especially the defense bar has to watch because the claimants, they talk to the press all the time mm -hmm. and they are good at it. So given all this, what would be your takeaways for clients potentially subject to this type of investigation? We've heard um, do not lie to authorities. We've heard talk to the PR or communications people. What else would you like to add? Andres, would you like to start? Uh, well, I don't know. I guess, I guess is this the part where the marketing speakers come in and they say, get help, <laughs> get the right help. Obviously, that's, that's, <laughs> that's one, one, one very important issue. And I'll leave, leave, leave that part at that. Uh, and I think... Uh, well, well, if if there's one one thing I, I I I kind of find very important as well is 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 to get as soon as possible a, a grip of your strategy, uh, whatever it's going to be, and and you know when you come into a case, you know from from the outset that whatever I know now it's probably going to change within 24 hours, and then it's going to change next week, and I'm going to have to amend this strategy, I'm going to have to change it, and surprises will always come up, but I guess the thing is if if you do kind of get that. As soon as possible, the strategy of what am I going trying to, what are we trying to achieve, you know, over over the next 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 week or so, and how will this look, you know, going ahead? Well, half a year from now, a year from now, well, we still will be dealing with this. What impact will it have? If you start building that strategy, that can give you some kind of comfort uh, 
in that outset scenario where actually all you're doing all the time, it seems, you're, you're trying to put out fires all over the place. And, and if you become too preoccupied with just putting out the fires as they arise without seeing the big picture, you know, you can lose a lot in the meantime. And, and also, if you then in that scenario have some kind of a, a, a strategy and a bit longer view, even if you amend it, that gives you the sense that now we're on top of things, we're taking things into account. And, and we are doing what we can with the knowledge we have now. We're doing the right things. And then that might change tomorrow. But at least that, that, that kind of works. But, but obviously, this is easier said than done. And, and uh, the bigger the case and, and the more sort of <laughs> different streams you have and, and different countries. And I can only imagine in, 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 in a case like, like the Volkswagen one, you know, what, what it must be to get a grip of that whole thing. It's, it's, it's easier said than done. But I guess that's, that's very important. You've said we probably have to amend the strategy, and that's the important thing. You have to have a strategy first in order to be able to amend it, and it's always good to think about it. What should it be now, uh, and how should it change? But you need a reference point, and that's the strategy, the best strategy you can come up with as early as possible. I completely agree with that. I think that the important thing is to realize from the client's perspective how big this thing will be, and where will it take place? And that should then, uh, you should bring in the advisor that can cover all the aspects from a legal perspective, from a geographical perspective, uh, and maybe even from a communications perspective. You need to bring in these advisors on board as early as possible. And I would also say you need to get a grip on the facts. You need to, as early as possible, you need to send in an investigation teams, an investigations team um, that will help you establish what the facts are, because if you're if you're still unsure, yeah, it goes back to how big is this? Um, what what could the consequences be? What are my defenses? It all depends on the facts, and not what you want the facts to be, but what the facts are. And um, the third advice that I would give, uh, with hindsight, is always document decisions that you are making, because and Anders, that goes back to what you've said. Um, a decision that you're taking right now may be the right one, but it may look wrong two months, two years, 20 years down the road. And so make sure uh, that you state the problem and document the decision. That's always an important aspect. Can I ask Patrick a question here? How, how have you been, been sort of in your experience dealing with these situations? Because I, I, I completely agree with you. On, on that that's 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 for sure but then we know also the other aspect of things which is when things are looking bad you don't want that memo <laughs> where it says <laughs> you know things are looking horrible <laughs> we probably are guilty and this will give rise to all kinds of legitimate follow-up claims uh, and you, you know sometimes creating those kinds of papers whether they are covered by regal privilege or not it just doesn't make a lot of sense and it's really not good in that situation so so how uh, i mean do you have the same kind of experiences it's, it's always sort of balancing between the two and it's 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 rather challenging well uh two two issues uh arising from that question i think the first one is not documenting helps against discovery but it does not help a lot if the board members are being held liable uh for breaching the business judgment rule uh later so i think you you have to <laughs> you have to carefully weigh what you what you want to do and um most of the time the what what you're capturing 
is information you're just condensing information that's already in the company and so it's it's nothing it, it's just to to what what what's the judgment uh, uh, the board has made or whoever takes the decision uh, what's the judgment and on which facts was it based and most of the time i think this does not harm but second issue if you want to protect against this have your lawyer draft the advice and keep it at the law firm because in most jurisdictions the threshold to get access to papers in possession of your legal advisors especially in the context of an yeah, impending litigation or dispute uh, is privileged and protected uh, so that's it's not perfect protection but it is protection So we've now talked about um, the sort of the, the overall strategy and, and, and sort of what do you do early on and, and how, how your strategy sort of evolves. Um, and, and a lot of these points had to do with how to avoid subsequent litigation. Um, so do you have any pointers, Patrick, there uh, early on? So what can you do? You mentioned, you know, settlements, you mentioned the overall strategy. Um, but what would you say um, to, to a client in a potential situation? What, what are the things you need to do to avoid subsequent litigation? I think litigate, to avoid litigation is very difficult because if there's no protection against being sued, no anti-suit injunction, I doubt it would be successful in a consumer uh, to business case anyway. But So there's no protection against that. The only thing that you can do is you can create a favorable environment in the media that does not you know when, when that tries to avoid a situation in which you are portrayed as as a as corporate evil so to speak difficult but that that's something you can try uh, and the other thing is um uh, i believe that you you need to increase your chances of successfully defending and the, it starts with knowing your facts completely and not try not having to change the story the statement of facts too often it will be unavoidable unavoidable especially in a complicated case that you have to amend clarify clarify uh, specify uh, but the less you have to do it the more credible you will sound in the courts uh, and that's why fact finding early on is so important and Anders, anything that you would add to to this list I, I guess my response would be pretty much along the same lines. I, I magically, I don't have the the magic bullet to 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 which can protect you from litigation in the future, and <laughs> that's that's other than that's being a non-litigious society. Yes, but I guess I guess I guess I guess what you can consider is, and and this is in 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 different cases, and maybe maybe then in ones which are not as huge and you know affecting people in fifty different countries, but but where you have something which is more sort of easier to handle or, or, or more more scaled down you know there can always be types of cases certain uh, which you might settle or or might be able to handle through sort of right communication and so forth so so i mean the idea being at least that just because you find yourself in this kind of uh, scary situation you shouldn't be taking the war on any more fronts than you need to so if there's anything you can cut off by you know, coming up front, you know, approaching that kind of customer, those really important stakeholders and, and, and sort of a bit mitigating, you know, their risk, risk there, then, then you could always try those steps. Because if there is, you know, that really important 
party for you. Uh, if you can avoid it, then in certain scenarios, you might be able to approach them up front instead of having them read in the newspaper and then discussing with the lawyers, you know, what's my position, what can I claim? If you can, if it's the kind of situation you can handle as a, you know, an ordinary course of business, if not ordinary, well, at least, you know, course of business kind of thing. But, to maintain uh, the business but relationship. But that obviously depends Makes very, sense. very much on, on what case you have at hand. I agree. I agree. And you have to keep in mind that when you talk to certain customers uh, about settlement, that can also um, have an impact of your overall strategy down the road. Because if you're saying, I didn't do anything wrong or you didn't suffer any damages and I'm not liable, um, that kind of statement uh, becomes difficult to maintain if you settle with large customers, for example. And, and that's something... That's something you have to consider as well. So if your if your overall strategy is not to pay out anything unless forced by a court judgment, that kind of limits your settlement options and you have to deal with the customers. I, I completely agree that you have to deal uh, with strategic customers, but you have to take a different approach. It shouldn't be a settlement. It has to be something different. Um, I think that's that's very important. So we are nearing the end of the podcast and would like to wrap up by asking a few more lighthearted questions. Uh, we'll be posing the same questions to all of our guests in the litigation series. And I think the first one we've already touched upon, but I'm going to ask it anyway and see if you have anything to add. What is the most interesting litigation development which you have either seen in the last few years or where you anticipate that there will be a prominent litigation in the future? I think I think the the trend that will um, that will change the landscape uh, in litigation is probably the mass claim trend and the legislation triggered by EU projects of law uh, that will uh, be passed by all the EU member states. We will not have a uniform class action in Europe, but we will have different mechanisms of how to bring and deal with mass claims. And I think that will keep us talking uh, about mass claims and how to settle them, how to deal with them, resolve them uh, for the next 10 to 20 years, I guess. What about Andres? I've been saying for quite a while that, that you know, society as a whole and the legal la landscape is, is getting more criminal law oriented, so, so to speak, that, that you know, things which used to be commercial in nature, just a commercial dispute, now mostly, well, if they don't contain a criminal angle, at least some kind of you know, authority investigation, something. It's almost every big one has this kind of, 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 of part to it. And I guess now with, with the, the regulators, you know, doing their job properly and the push as, as a whole, you know, to get companies to be, to take more responsibility in, in every way for any, any, any time they, you know, sidestep in whatever area it is, I guess that whole of thing cre creates quite a potent mix where we will see things arising, you know, in the, in the, in the future as well. As a Nordic law firm, we also have to ask, what's the most interesting thing that you know about the Nordics or what's your favorite thing about the Nordics, Patrick? Yeah, my favorite uh, occurrence was uh, with the Nordics was when I commuted uh, via Copenhagen to Estonia and there was a Finnish guy at the airport who talked to me in Finnish. Uh, and I told him, sorry, uh, I don't understand. And he said, well, but you look like a Finn. Uh, and I thought... I thought we should discuss hockey. 
And, and I said, yes, we can discuss hockey, but but I am a German. And Anders. Well, it's it's all from, from the inside. It's always difficult to 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 answer this kind of question. You know, what's more, most interesting here? But I guess one one interesting thing is, I think, you know, we we're sitting here in the the complete darkness. You know, eating D vitamin supplements and drinking too much coffee or vodka. And, and, and the funniest thing we can imagine. Don't is admit now. <laughs> the funniest thing in Finland, for instance, you can imagine is the Saturday night when you can sit all by yourself in a hot room and sweating so much until you can't take it anymore and you have to get out of there. And that's like our idea of having fun. Uh, and, and you take all this and then you look at the, the sort of happiness results which you, you get every year and, and, and the Nordics are, you know, the happiest places on earth. And, and, and you start wondering, you know, what is this? And, and, and in my mind, you know, the lawyer's answer to that would obviously be that, well, of course, there's, you know, security, there's kind of predictability, there's low corruption and there is the rule of law. And, and you know, but the happy thing is that apparently, you know, most other people think this as well, or then it's a lawyer who's made these, you know, happiness, <laughs> happiness lists in the first place. So, so lastly, we would like to ask you what, what your funniest moment in a hearing or a courtroom has been. Patrick, would you like to start? Yeah, uh, most moments in a courtroom are not funny uh, in the strict sense. So the only thing vaguely funny uh, that I can report is that uh, I was once in a hearing where uh, the lawyer excused himself and said he had to leave uh, the room for a moment. And after 20 minutes, we got slightly nervous where the guy was going. And it turned out that he had two hearings at the same time and tried to attend them both. <laughs> Didn't go down too well with a judge who uh, asked a bailiff <laughs> to bring the attorney back to the first hearing. Uh, yeah, th yeah, it wasn't a good day for, for him. Oh. Don't do double billing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I believe Anders may also have a, a story related to multitasking or am I wrong? Uh, I guess you're wrong. Yeah. I think, I think what, what came into my mind was, 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 well, that's one of those things. It wasn't funny at the time. It wasn't at all funny at the time, but now 10 years later, you know, you can laugh at it maybe, but, but it was just really kind of very big, interesting dispute. Uh, we would be writing, you know, hundreds of pages of submissions, expert witnesses, and so forth, and then went, you know, to the preparatory hearing uh, at the district court, and and uh, you know, the opposite counsel was a very, very pleasant, learned colleague who was, and we we had a good good discussion. You know, we performed at our best, and I think we both presented our clients' cases, you know, really well. And and the judge was just trying to get a grip of, you know, all these precedent-setting questions and so forth. And, and and after a while, the judge said, you know, this is all very good. I, I understand very well what you're saying, but I'm having a problem with, with, you know, the big thing here is all these abbreviations. And there was this sort of long silence. And then, you know, a colleague and I asked, you know, abbreviations, obviously, you know, if there's anything we can explain, you know, let us know what, what kind of abbreviations, for instance. And uh, then after this, two hours of the preparatory hearing, you know, the judge says, well, the thing is, you know, it appears the main thing in dispute here are these MEURs, you know, tens and hundreds of these MEURs, you know, what, what are they? And there was this long silence and um, colleague and I just looked at each other and then said, you know, <clears throat> You know, judge, those are you know millions of euros, <laughs> and, and uh, <laughs> that just comes to, to you know <laughs> that, that is just to, to explain you know how how it sometimes is you know you can perform you know objectively speaking at your best and saying all the right things, but if the person you're speaking to doesn't understand you know what you're talking about at the outset, it might all go wrong. So we started over again, and and you know I said 
I can laugh at it now, but it wasn't wasn't funny at the time. But he got the point. I mean, at the end of the day, most cases are about <laughs> millions of euros. Yes, exactly. Thank you very much, Patrick and Anders, for spending your time with us today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Yes, thank you so much. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. We will be back soon with more. In the meantime, we would love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode or wish to continue the discussion online, please follow our LinkedIn profile or other Hannes Dahlmann social media channels.